It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real finish. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats, and today we have a guest episode, the ace of the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease, is joining me. This is going to be a blast of a conversation. Already one great start under his belt this season, opened up his first opening day start against the Houston Astros. We'll talk all about that. His thoughts on the pitch clock, uh, the WBC, and if he would pitch in it in 2026, but uh, I'm just excited to pick his brain about pitching because he has become one of the nastiest pitchers in the game of baseball and a great dude as well. So without further ado, let's get to it and welcome in Dylan Cease. All right, and I'm pumped to be joined now by the ace of the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease. Dylan, pumped to have you on the show, man. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, you know, we got a lot of baseball to talk about, but at some point we got to talk about disc golf as well. You're even rocking a disc craft shirt. I mean, big disc golf guy. I myself play as well. So we're, we're going to talk about everything, all right? Perfect. So I, let's start with, with last year because your 2022 season was a Cy Young caliber season. I know you ultimately ended up finishing in second, uh, but it felt like last year – your career and and you on the mound really took a gigantic leap forward. Like from just watching you in the past, right? Your stuff was there, but last year it just felt like something clicked for you. Like what was the difference for you last season? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing is I just gained, I gained a lot of consistency, especially with my off speed, um, especially with my slider. So, um, you know, just being able to throw the slider 2-0 down the middle for strikes and then get it back foot to lefty is more consistent. Um, it kind of just opened up. It opened up a lot more, you know, consistency with results, um, made game planning easier and, and more doable. Um, and just in general, I was able to get the ball in the zone more, although I did lead the league in walks, unfortunately. But uh <laughs> We're, we're taking we're taking steady steps you know it's not all it's not gonna all happen in one night walks are uh walks are a little easier to work around when you punch out everybody in the world so i i also True. i watched your first start the other night which was dominant by the way and i guess you're most happy about not walking anybody um so off to a good start there what this off season was there something you were focusing on to you know better command in the zone to not walk guys or is it just like you didn't you just happened to not walk anybody in the first game so honestly, this offseason, the, the biggest thing I really had in my mind was trying to develop a changeup, which uh, I didn't end up using that first start. So, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I've noticed in baseball that really a lot of it is just if you consistently show up and keep working at it, it, it things don't usually happen overnight. But um, basically, I've kind of just continued to follow the same process and add add or subtract when needed. And um, I think just gaining more experience. Um, has helped me be more consistent in the zone and then adjust better, which is, you know, half the battle as well. Cause before, you know, I, I would have spurts where I was really good. And then I would have an inning or two where, you know, I didn't, I had no idea where the ball was going. So I'm at the point now where I feel like going into it, I'm more consistent. And then if anything ever snowballs, I'm able to just kind of make quicker adjustments. 
I, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I was pretty vocal about it last year when it was happening, but I, I feel like last year you were the biggest all-star snub that there was. I don't think there's really any argument about that. Was that, was that something that was disappointing to you last year in the time? Or are you using that to kind of like fuel yourself to be an all-star this year? Like when you found out that you weren't an all-star, even after some pitchers dropped out and somehow your name still wasn't picked, was that disappointing? Yeah, it was extremely disappointing. Honestly, um, I had I had like bought a suit and everything, and I was preparing uh, just because I think I, I think I was like either first or second in strikeouts, top couple in ERA, and a bunch of different stats. So, in my mind, in my mind, which I, I tend to be someone who is pretty cautious with that kind of stuff. Like I don't like I don't like um, you know counting my you know what's the saying go count your uh, chickens, chickens before, before they hatch, they hatch. <laughs> i don't like doing that i don't like but um i thought i played myself into a hundred percent inevitable spot yeah. on the team but it was one of those things where it fueled me for at least a couple of starts going into that um but i kind of just let it go because it's not worth being uh yeah. being angry over um you know so it was it was definitely very disappointing though because it would have been cool to have your first one be in uh in la and uh yeah i mean it's just one of those things where even as a kid i mean i watched all those games so um it, it definitely would have been really special have you worn that suit yet or are you saving it for your first one that's i inevitably gonna come i hope i think i've worn it one time where did i wear that <laughs> i've worn it i've worn it one time so far yeah so last year i think was like your first year fully rocking a mustache right is it yeah. i thought it was going to be a one-year thing and you just were pitching well so you stuck with it but i guess ultimately you pitched so well it's like i got to keep it going was that was that the plan all along or is it are we is it officially sticking around forever now <sighs> forever i don't know it, it it is one of those things where i had such a good year with it uh that i i, I gotta give it another you, shot you gotta keep it <laughs> so far it's off to a good start too so you know it might be might be at least the next couple of years we'll see we'll see if i can do that <laughs> not really i mean uh, how it all started is i facetimed uh my marketing guy jason and uh i had a big mustache and he just started laughing he's like hey you gotta rock that so I was like, yeah, you know what? This is pretty funny. We'll give it a try. And then uh, here we are over a year later, still rocking it. <laughs> All right. So this is probably going to be the hardest question I ask you this whole conversation. Who has the better mustache, you or Spencer Strider? Mm. That's tough. I feel like they're pretty similar. Um, <laughs> man, uh, I feel like they're pretty similar. They, <laughs> they are very similar mustaches, honestly. I'd have to give myself the edge because why wouldn't you give yourself the edge if you had the opportunity? If there's two people with very similar mustaches and I myself have one of them, you have to give yourself the edge, I would assume, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I got to, his is close, but I got to give myself the edge. <laughs> uh, so last year, Dylan, you ended up, as I mentioned, uh, in that Cy Young conversation until the very last day of the year, you were even a part of that crew on uh, on the award show with Justin and, and Alec Manoa ended up coming in second. How, how cool was that experience still, you know, down to the last day until it was actually selected? You had a chance and you were in there with uh, guys like my brother and Manoa, some some big time names and 
uh, you were potentially going to have your name called for the Cy Young Award. Like, how cool was that whole process? Oh, yeah, it was extremely cool. Um, I mean, going into it, I had a I had a pretty good idea of how I thought things were going to shake out. Um, obviously, uh, obviously, your brother had like a ridiculously good year. So it was like, it's like, all right, that's that's probably uh, the, the type <laughs> of year that's going to win it every year. So I went in kind of with with expectations um and it ended up it ended up shaking out how i thought it would but i'll, I'll tell you what man doing that live interview on on mlb network was like the most nerve-wracking uh, <laughs> that was way more nerve-wracking than even like pitching a yankee stadium or, what? or i'm telling you yeah i don't know it's something about there's something about like being live like that where it's like you say one wrong thing and you know you're going to be a meme and all this different stuff so i was like sitting there like oh god i gotta be perfect with this it's given you i think ptsd because the first thing you did when you hopped on here is ask if we're live and you're like oh okay good <laughs> 100%. what are your so last year obviously dominant incredible year really propelled yourself as you know one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball heading into this season what are what are your goals now? You know, you're, you got the opening day start. You're an ace of a staff. Um, you had a great year last year. What are your goals for this season? Yeah, I think um, I tend to not make too many, like, result-oriented goals. I, I try to be more process-oriented. Um, so a big one is I want to make every start again. Um, that, that would probably be the biggest one. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to make every start and suck. So uh, I, I, I want to bring a lot of – uh, focus and intensity to all my starts and really just execute as many pitches as I can and and uh, kind of just let the results be what they are. I love when uh, I, I used to, I was talking to Justin about this all the time when I was playing and in spring training, we were living together and he would have spring trainings that the the numbers, if you will, be, they're irrelevant, aren't, aren't good. And people like start freaking out like, oh my God. And your spring training spring this training, year, yeah. numbers not great but who cares and i remember justin saying like i will i will take my worst pitch and just throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it and try and figure something out and that's just kind of how spring training goes so for you this year in spring training what were some things that you were trying to focus on were you trying to do things that you don't normally do um well honestly the biggest reason why my numbers were bad is because uh, I got I got lit up for 11 runs in like two innings <laughs> against Tennessee, and honestly, I just didn't have a good feel. And I was yeah. I wasn't throwing anything in the strike zone, and anything I did throw in the strike zone was hit over the fence or hit for a double. Um, so it's just it was honestly one of those starts where it was almost hard to believe like how many runs and hits I gave up. Like I left that like you never leave like almost laughing, but that was one of those where it was like man, it was just a wake up call, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, spring training, I mean, a big thing of it is just building up arm strength and like, you know, especially early in spring, you're not trying to you're not trying to go out there and throw as hard as you can. You're kind of just trying to build and take yeah. take your baby steps. So, you know, where when you're throwing there's a difference when you're throwing, you know, ninety-three in, in spring and and then when you get to the game situation, now you're throwing ninety-eight and you're, you know, locating your plus stuff in the zone because you've you've had the reps and you've had the feel. So um yeah, for me this spring it really just it took me to like the very either one or two starts left to yeah. even have like a good feel. Like in the back of my head, wow. I was like, man, I, I started, I, I had a little bit of questioning, like, did I take this too slow, this yeah. and that? But then I don't know, man, it just kind of one of the starts. It's like, as soon as you feel it, you feel it, you That's know? Cool. So um, I got, I got 
my rhythm locked in. And then, you know, thankfully it was, it was able to keep me from not panicking too much yeah, before my opening. It's so, gotta be a big sigh of relief when you, when you like finally find it and it clicks. You know, I was talking to at the world baseball classic was talking to John Smoltz about it. And he was like, honestly, pitching in spring training, it's always a worry. Cause you never know when your fastball is going to come back. And he was like, it was never my first start, never my second start. And you really start worrying. And then at some point your arms just like, all right, we're back. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, locating off speed. I mean, the whole, the whole thing, it's like, it's almost like just retraining yourself. Like, you know how to do it deep down, but there's like a, a certain level of the pitching where it's such, you really have to trust your body and not think what your body's doing. Yeah. And when you're building up early, there's some certain some certain stages where maybe things aren't flowing how you'd like or the ball's not coming out. And then you start thinking about your body. And you start thinking about different things that can get you locked in. But in the moment, anytime you're really thinking about anything other than executing, yeah. you're kind of, you're not really compete mode and it's, it's almost more detrimental. So yeah. that's why spring training is extremely process oriented. I know it's, it's very difficult for fans when they see like the, uh, the ace pitcher, you know, getting crushed and you're like, well, we're starting in two weeks. This, you know, <laughs> this is going to be good. But, uh, there's, there's a little bit of the methodness method to the madness with that. Yeah. Well, I also think I, I saw a video of you taking your brother deep in spring training. So uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, actually. Yeah, you know, I, I like to think Justin was pretty locked in already at that point in spring training. You know, that was his hardest pitch of the day by four miles an hour. The hardest pitch. How hard was it? Uh, that was 97. He was sitting like 92, 93 that day in spring. It was actually like a week before the season started. And I had never faced him in my entire life. And I mean, like we've throwing wiffle balls in the backyard, but like never in a box in uniform. And we had always talked about it our whole life. He was like, when I face you, I'm going to drill you right in the ribs. And I was like, when I face you, I'm going to hit a homer. So I go up there. I know like it's, it, he has to throw me a heater, you know, like he can't start his younger brother off with like a banger for a strike. So, right. It's I like, <laughs> so I guess that's just me. No, well, he should have. So first pitch I saw, now he should have drilled you in the ribs. Well, that's, that is true. First pitch I saw deep right center touched home, never came back, never faced him again. I'm good. I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you took a hall of famer deep. So, I mean, not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, true. So your, your first start was one, it was dominant. I was watching that start and your first opening day start against the reigning champions in Houston, you absolutely dominated, but like, how cool was that? Your first opening day start, like walk me through that day for you, the nerves that were there maybe like how, how awesome was it getting your first opening day start? Yeah, I think uh, the, the most nerves I had were even just a couple of days leading up to it, you know, like when we're traveling there and I'm sitting on the plane and I, I'm really just, you know, uh, it's kind of the first thing my mind went to was to think about it. Um, but the day of, I, I felt pretty calm um and it was just one of those things where i was like in my mind it's like what's the, the worst thing that can happen is i go out and i can't throw strikes and you know the results are bad but i still get to live to fight another day so i, yeah. I kind of got in like surprisingly i got in a pretty positive mindset from there like you know there's it, it's kind of easy for me to like reflect on different things and be like there's people that are going through a lot harder things and a lot yeah. more stressful and challenging things you know think to whatever police officers putting their lives on the line it's right. like that's that's actually truly hard. This is obviously very hard too, because they're such a <laughs> powerful team, you know, like this is, this is no uh, walk in the park, but in terms of, you know, 
I'm, I'm going to get to leave the game with, you know, still being alive, hopefully. And, uh, you know, I just, I just was thinking positive about it. I, I, and I felt pretty calm. And, um, you know, I remember even just sitting there talking to Yaz and saying, I, I'm like a little nervous right now, but I feel, you know, mostly really calm. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing. And I, I was like locked in from the start with my yeah. pregame pen. Um, and that's usually, a, that's usually a problem because your best games are usually when you can't throw anything for a strike in your pen and then right. you turn on the game. So for my pen, I was like locked in, um, and I just, I took it into the game and, you know, and honestly it started off kind of poorly because Payne hit that single off my slider, which is my best pitch. So I'm like, Oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> but, uh, it ended up working out well. Yeah, I'd say so. What I think. 10 punches, no walks, uh, just a, a dominant start first of the year. So I, I have to ask, I mean, from, from the pan, the fan perspective, there's a lot of talk this year about a pitch clock. That was your first regular season start with it. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I was pretty apprehensive about it when I, when I first learned that they were doing it. Um, but so far I've liked it. I think it keeps the game flowing really nicely. Um, and I think I think it just keeps action uh, action going more consistently, which is great. So I do think it's probably more of an advantage for pitchers than hitters, but I don't know if it's really even necessarily a big advantage for us. Um, it's all just something that we all have to be aware of. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think it's I think it's making the product uh, flow better, which is obviously good for the game in general. So I, it's, it's tough to get my approval so far. Does it feel fast for you or when you're in the moment, it, it doesn't, you don't really notice it. No, I feel like I, I feel like I had almost too much time. Like I was going out and warming <laughs> up and I, I was just sitting there for like 15 seconds. Well, I think it was, it was also, uh, whatever the national televised game. So I think there was a little bit more time in between innings, but, um, yeah, for me, I, I didn't ever really feel like there's a point where I was, under under some sort of time pressure yeah so well that's great to hear you, you never know like you know watching it i i love the i love the feel of it i love watching it and it just feels like it feels like the game is it doesn't feel fast it just feels like there's a lot of action and in, in lesser time so i've been a big yeah. fan um and and i i feel like you'll be a big fan of of this guy but you guys have a new manager now this year and I, I want you to, to talk about him because it seems like he's a great fit for this locker room. Um, how has Pedro been in the locker room for you guys and how has the team accepted him and vice versa? Yeah, it's been great so far. You know, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing with him is uh, he, he really wants to emphasize communication, you know, whether it's good or bad. Um, he wants us to, you know, be able to talk with him and be able to express ourselves. So um you know that's that's one of the big things i think that that makes a good leader is just the willingness to listen um things have been very organized we've had it we've had a plan which is you know which is not half the battle but um you know i feel like having a plan versus having no plan is just a game changer so you know we we have a plan even with like all this the new pitch clock and all that you know it was something where as a player, I didn't even have to focus a lot of mental effort on it. I could focus on just preparing for the season and, and working on my craft because I, I trusted that, you know, they they were working on, hey, what are we going to do with base runners? What are we going to do in all these different situations? So, um, you know, he communicates well, we're prepared and, um, you know, it's just it's it's been off off to a really good start with him. Yeah, we don't we don't need to talk 
poorly about Tony Larusa because I feel like the outside world did that enough last year. But is there a, is there a noticeable difference inside the clubhouse with the feel of the players and the team and the new manager? Like, is it just is there a notable difference from maybe years past to this year? I think I think the biggest difference is we saw what happens when you don't show up when you don't show up and perform, yeah. you know, and um, it, it's it creates a, a very just bad environment. You know, it's yeah. it's if you don't perform, if you fail, it's it's negative, it's painful, it's it's all of these things. So, um, you know, obviously we were, you know, quite possibly had the biggest failure in in, in the league last year so. I think a lot of us, a lot of us took that to heart and we don't want to feel that way again. And we don't want to waste our talent. Um, and you know, we don't like losing. So, um, there was, there was an edge and an intensity that we've had this year that I don't think I've seen the last couple of years, you know, which is, which has been really refreshing. Yeah. The right before this season started, the world baseball classic took, took over the baseball world. I think I, it was awesome. Did you watch? Oh yeah. So let me ask you this question. Obviously, there's outside factors here, and you never know what could happen in a few years. And what maybe you guys will pitch until the World Series, and it becomes a more difficult conversation. But 2026 comes around, you're asked to pitch. What's your first thought? My first thought is absolutely. But then I, I got to talk with uh, with my counsel, the uh, <laughs> big big brains, and you know, kind of connect with them and see what their their thoughts and opinions are. Um, you know, for me, I mean, I even wanted to play in this one. I, I really did, but there's just a lot of factors, especially for pitching. You know, it's it's um, getting getting ready for the season for a long season. Um, it's kind of harder to, to rush some of the steps, and and um, you know, for me, I kind of had to weigh that. And um, you know, I it, it was hard to watch and not be a part of it. To be honest, I mean, it looked it was like you said. I mean, everybody was watching. It was extremely exciting. Um, some of the best baseball that, that the, uh, was it Mexico? Yeah. Mexico, Japan was like one of the best baseball yeah. games I've seen. I think, I mean, that was just like back and forth excitement. So, um, I would say there's a good chance I would play in 2026. It's just, there's just a lot of factors going in, you know, going into it. But, um, I, I definitely, I definitely want to try to find a way to, to play in the next one. Yeah. I want to. I want to step back in, in your life a little bit. We're talking about the future, what, three years from now. I want to step back and go back to right around the time you were drafted, right? So I like, I like talking to guys about their draft day story, and yours was a little bit different just from the fact that you were going to be a top pick and end up you know, hurting your arm and falling in the draft. Still, I think, what, sixth round? Is that where you went? Yeah, sixth round. So what, what was – draft day like for you were you expecting at that point to go lower or was that a surprise for you walk me through that day how special it was and also the feelings of uh going in the sixth yeah i remember uh i remember not really knowing how it was going to pan out um and uh the, the biggest thing i remember feeling was i, I was pretty nervous because uh I was either going to sign with the team and immediately go get, you know, Tommy John or I was going to go to, to Vanderbilt. And uh, I can't remember if we knew for sure I needed it at the time. I think we did know for sure I needed it. Yeah. Um, so I was either going to begin a, a new chapter with pro ball or a new chapter in college. Um, so I, I felt, I felt a little bit nervous about that just in general. Um, yeah. I just remember being, it was at my, uh, my parents' house, our, our old house. And 
I remember watching day one and kind of being, I don't know, a little disappointed that I didn't really uh, have too much of an idea of what was going on. And then uh, day two comes around and, and I hear it's down. I think it was down to the Astros or the Cubs. And uh, finally, I just heard, hey, you know, they're going to meet your number. And I was I was uh, I was kind of impressed because for me, it's like I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to play. There's a lot of risk. I've, I've got yeah. Tommy John. I need Tommy John, all that. So um, but it was definitely one of those things where it's a once in a lifetime moment, you know, and, and I remember how excited my family was. Yeah. So it was definitely special, but it, it definitely it definitely would have been probably a little more enjoyable had I not torn my arm and uh, been able to <laughs> really have my best bullet with it. Yeah. And then, you know, so you end up getting drafted, going through surgery, end up dominating your way throughout the minors. And then in 2017, you're in the, you're right in the middle of a wild trade looking back on it. I was thinking about this yesterday. It was you, Eloy Jimenez and Dunning for, I think it was like Quintana or something like that from the Cubs to the White Sox. And what was that day like for you? Were you told like hey be ready you know you were put we're packaging you in some trades or was it like complete shock to you that you were just traded i wasn't told anything and but it wasn't shocking because i my starts kept getting scratched and pushed back <clears throat> so the running joke in the locker room was like yeah you're about to get traded and i think there was like it was mostly half-hearted like we we're all kind of messing around <laughs> um but yeah my, i kept getting scratched and we're like why and they just you know just go with it, whatever. So <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> well, you gotta in baseball, especially when you're a young guy in a minor league, or, I mean, you don't have much, you don't have much say you don't, you're right. kind of just like a, a chess piece. That's like, Hey, go here, go here, do this, do this. So, <clears throat> um, I just remember getting a call at like 10 AM saying, Hey, um, you've been traded, go get your stuff. And, uh, this, someone <laughs> from the white Sox is going to call you. So, I pack up my apartment, some of my stuff from my apartment in my car, and I drive down to South Carolina to meet my new team. And uh, and I think I think we we're playing against the Columbia Fireflies, something yeah. like that. So um, pretty much, I went from having a team in South Bend, Indiana, to driving down to South Carolina, and the next day being on a new team, and that was about it. Crazy. The one thing I remember about um, South Bend is the visiting locker rooms there are pink. I don't know if you knew that. Really? I did not know that. No. Yeah. The visiting locker room is pink. And the reason we we asked about this, the reason being apparently (laughs) it's like a tried and true mental tactic of, I, I don't exactly know how it works, but this is what we were told is the whole room was like bright pink and we were like, why is this happening? And it was just like, I don't, I don't exactly know the reasoning. I, I wouldn't have done it, but. Well, like a, like a psychological, like try to make you feel more feminine. So you're not as aggressive on the field or something. Psych- psychological warfare, I guess. I have no huh. idea why it was done, but yeah, the visiting locker room there was, uh, was pink. That's what I remember when I think of South Bend. Uh, your, I, I ask everybody that comes on the show this because I like hearing draft day stories I have my own that was very special to me, but the call that I really wanted and that every kid wanted, I I didn't get. So I like talking to people about this and your call to the big leagues. How how did that happen? What do you remember about it? Tell me about that moment. I don't think it was a call. I was in, uh, I want to say I was in Norfolk, Virginia. That's where I went to college. Uh, 
Shout out Tides. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I went to yeah. Old Dominion, which is like five minutes from that stadium. Okay. Yeah, so I was there. Um, and I think <clears throat> I think they called me into the uh, into the office, and it was basically like, hey, you've got the uh, the first game of a doubleheader. It was a little anticlimactic, I guess. Um, <laughs> most of my experience with, with baseball has been a little anticlimactic in that sense, you know, because it's so like – I feel like the days of a guy kind of earning his way to the next level doesn't really happen as much. It's all, it's yeah. more scheduled now where it's like, all right, you're going to do this for this certain time. You're going to do this, this, this. So um, I don't have any crazy, like, you know, story like that, but yeah, I just remember them telling me and, and calling my parents and, you know, they were freaking out and, uh, and, and super excited as, as, as I was, obviously. It's only, anticlimactic if you are just shoving everywhere you go and then you stay on schedule it's not like that for most people Dylan most uh, people struggle at levels and then you worry like am I going to be back here next year but no it's a little different for you because you were just punching out everybody everywhere you went uh so yeah. so you did you ended up starting in the big leagues and then you know from there um you were you were a big leaguer. So do you have like a, a welcome to the big leagues moment that happened to you? Something on the field or off the field or on the team flight? Just something that happens like, oh, I'm a big leaguer now. Well, I struggled pretty, pretty bad my first two years. Um, so that was that was the biggest kind of getting used to failing and like overcoming it and, and failing on the big stage, which is even you know more embarrassing. So uh i experienced failure like i've never experienced before which was really challenging at the big league level yeah uh, um i remember my rookie year having to go get coffee dressed in my uh dressed in my uniform <laughs> i think that was in detroit i did a lot of <clears throat> like rapping on the bus and and stuff like that so rapping as in like yeah. like on a microphone rapping yeah like freestyle rapping <laughs> did a lot of that okay uh, um you know, I mean, I, I still honestly, like, I, I'm not like the most established veteran guy by any means, you know, I, I'm, st I'm still pretty young and, yeah. you know, still young in my career. So I can't even sit here and act like I'm uh, Mr. Big Guy yet or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, definitely just the big league game is, is so different in so many ways, you know, that the travel, staying at hotels, all this, all, all of it's so much different than the minor leagues that really it does. For me, I mean, I feel like it took me a couple of years to really get in the rhythm of, of how things are and to just feel, you know, even remotely comfortable up here. How do you I, I feel like the biggest thing with baseball is dealing with failure because it's a sport built around failure. And at some point, the game humbles everybody. And for me, Absolutely. it came in in high A and I really struggled uh, with the mental game there of like, OK, I went over four. Now I'm over eight. And I couldn't get myself out of that. For you, it came your first couple of years in the big leagues. I never learned how to deal with it. I never became good at dealing with failure. And that's probably why I'm not playing the game anymore. So how do you how do you deal with it? Like, how did you? It's, it's easy to just say, like, yeah, I struggled and then got through it. No, it's baseball is the most mentally draining sport I think there is. And 100%. how yeah. did how did like how do you deal with failure? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't deal with it perfectly. I mean, there was a there were a lot of moments where I was just really down in the dumps, yeah. you know, for for a long time because it is such a results driven game. And, you know, it's it's you work so hard and you get up there and it's like, uh, 
you know, you, you don't want to, you don't ever want to lose it when you get up. So I think at this point in my career, I've had enough success to where when I have about a, a bad outing, mm -hmm. I can look back and go, no, I I'm, you know, I have this talent level. I have this, I've done this. Mm -hmm. uh, I know if I just keep working and keep making adjustments, it's going to be there. Um, one thing I've really done is, uh, like sometimes when I'm, sometimes when I'm creating like a lot of negative emotions, I'll try to visualize positive scenarios happening and, uh, almost trying to try to create my own like optimism that way. Um, cause I think a big thing of it is just, you know, when you're feeling that negative way, it's, it's you, at the end of the day, you are the one creating it. So you might as well create, you might as well create something more positive. True. Um, and it's, it's much easier said than, yeah, uh, much easier yeah said than done, but, uh, you know, a big thing is just, I don't know, it's, it's very easy in this game to be, I think in life, in this game in life, it's very easy to be pessimistic, yeah. but, uh, you know, any tool I can find to help make me more optimistic, I end up trying to, trying to go with it. I like that. All right. I got some, some fun questions for you before we finish up first being, been in the big leagues for a few years now. I don't know if you've played everywhere yet, but by the end of next year, you will, because now the schedule's changed and we're playing everybody. Favorite place to play in the big leagues other than your home stadium? Mm. I think I think it's going to be Fenway because anytime I would play MLB The Show with my my brother, it would be at Fenway. It's, <laughs> it's arguably the most historic park around, uh, and it's just, for me, that was just like, the whole a whole another experience man so i think fenway least favorite city or stadium to play in mm. probably oakland <laughs> i think I, a lot of people i probably agree with i still can't believe it's mind-blowing to me that the players have to walk through the fans i mean we saw what happened with rendon the other day i'm surprised stuff like that doesn't happen more often maybe it's because not many people are going to any games other than the the opening series but the players, you just walk right through the crowd to get back to the locker room. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the least of my worries at that place, too. So <laughs> it's not ideal, but, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. Toughest hitter that you've had to face in your career? Ooh, I mean, there's a lot of them. Toughest? Man. I think Al Altuve set me pretty good. I hung him a slider last year. He went deep on. Devers is good because he's he's pretty good with spin, or pretty good. He's very good with spin. Um, so you can't you really can't leave anything over the heart of the plate to him. Yeah. Um, so he stands out. Uh, Nelson Cruz on the Twins. This is back when my skill level was a little less. Than it is now. <laughs> that guy was that guy was horrible, man. You saw him up there, and you're like, ah, oh, here we go again. I will never forget. I had a. Um, I believe I had Royce Lewis on the show. It was the number one prospect with the twins and then ended up getting hurt, but he was on a, a couple of years ago and he was talking about Nelson Cruz. And he said, one day he came up to me and we were talking about hitting and he was like, Nelson said he would go up to the plate and his mindset is he sits on off speed. And as a guy that's in the big leagues facing pitchers that throw like a hundred miles an hour for a guy that's able to say he sits on off speed and then adjust to a hundred is just mind blowing for me to even hear that. And that's why he's been one of the best at one of the best hitters in baseball for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's usually the opposite. I'm, I know. You know you, I'm never getting off the heater. When I hear that, I'm like, sweet. <laughs> um, all right. So 
I said we have to talk about disc golf. I have become a yep. disc golfer over the past couple of years. Love it. You obviously rocking the Discraft shirt right now. First off, how did you how did you even get into it? I got into it in I want to say 2017ish. Um I was living at home in the off season with my parents and my twin brother. And uh, I came home from a workout and he's just sitting there doing schoolwork. And, and Joe Mez is on YouTube, which is what they basically they would be the film crew for these tournaments. And he was watching disc golf. And I used to give him a hard time. because I was like, what? This is like the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. What are we <laughs> I hated it. I was like, what are we watching? Come on. And as no, no, this is sick. Trust me. So he got me to like I went out to Will's Park, our local park, and walked with him a couple of times when he played. And uh, and then eventually I just tried it. And all it takes is one or two shots. And you're like, I don't know if it's for me, there's a lot of different things I like about it. Like it's kind of the same with baseball. You got to figure out how to make your body work in certain ways to make the, you know, make the disc do what it needs to do. And uh, I mean, you've had this experience when you play baseball where you're trying to get your body to do something and you're trying to get certain results. And it's like almost it's very counterintuitive. Like if, if that makes sense, either the movement you have to yeah. do or you load early, you got to do something that like feels really uncomfortable at first, but it ends up being good in the long run. Yeah. I, I experienced that a lot with disc golf where it's like, Ooh, this doesn't feel how it should. And then I would get the result and then I got that feel and it was just, I don't know. It was, it was uh, really interesting and, and fun to me. So I, uh, I ended up really getting hooked on it. And then during COVID when we weren't allowed to go anywhere besides outside, it was like, all right, let's go uh, try out new courses. And basically we were playing like, I was probably playing four or five days a week for a while with my brother. So I got really hooked. And then uh, I, I built a good relationship with Paul, who, who you know, you know, who's like the Tiger Woods of disc golf. Yeah. And uh, now I'm, I'm trying to do big things in the disc golf world. How, so you went from, this is nerdy, what are you doing, to yeah. becoming good friends with the best disc golfer of all time and Paul and yeah. how, like, how did that friendship come to be? And I know he threw out the first pitch last year in Chicago. I'm assuming you set that up. So tell me about all this and then how that came to be. Yeah. So with Paul, I remember back in like the minor leagues, I tweeted at him like, Hey man, you got to teach me how to, how to like throw this thing. I can't get it to go more than 200 feet or something like that. <laughs> and uh, we had like a little exchange there. And then, um, Really, it kind of happened where the the Discraft who sponsors him is based out of uh, basically close to Detroit, Michigan. So every time I would go up to Detroit, um, you know, I'd either hang out with with his name's Bob, the manager. I'd hang out with Bob or go see the factory or he'd come to the game. So we kind of developed that relationship. And then Paul Paul's a big baseball fan. He played baseball a lot growing up. So. It was kind of just a good match because I'm I'm a fan of him and yeah. I think what he does is unbelievable and he's a fan of what I do so uh, it, it's really just a perfect match. And then he ended up throwing out the first pitch. I, did you set that up directly or did they come to you and was like, hey, could Paul throw? Like, how'd this happen? No, I was like, hey, we gotta we gotta get Paul to do it. And I didn't <laughs> know if he'd be interested, but I mentioned it to him. He's like, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, he did he did a little Johnny Cueto uh, shimmy and then. Uh, he fired a perfect strike, of course, because the guys, the guys got like that Kobe gene where like you put them under pressure and it's just <laughs> bam, automatic performance. So, uh, yeah, he and I, we actually, so I just bought 60 acres of land in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in this 
like really wild, wild uh, wilderness, beautiful land. And uh, he came out and he designed a championship level course. That's sweet. Uh, we filmed the entire thing. So uh, we're going to have this course up maybe this year before for sure by next year. So uh, that that should be potentially on the actual pro pro tour series now. That's sweet. Um, destination disc golf course there and just build it from scratch we had like a camera crew all this cool stuff and then uh like two weeks later he calls me he's like hey do you want another course so uh so i'm like all right give me the details and he tells me about this land for sale and this course for sale in florida that's like the greatest course in florida everyone loves it i'd heard of it actually mm -hmm. so that helped but everyone loves it blah 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 and uh they were about to tear it down to build six houses and he's like hey man if we get this we can you know sell this <laughs> this and and make our money back and you know i was like dude i'm in man let's let's like build a little empire here so uh we're, we're trying to do some big things in disc golf he's already doing big things but you know I'm, I'm trying to get in on it a little bit when that course is done i gotta come down and be one of the first to play that would be awesome 100 percent. all right last we'll one for you back. if you could put together the perfect disc golf foursome of MLB players mm. who's on it based on who I think might be good or just guys that are interesting. I guess. Are, do you know of anybody else that plays? I guess that would be a good start. If not, then I, I heard, uh, I heard Seth Lugo and I think Steven Matz had played back in the day. That was, that was a rumor, but I don't think anyone really actively plays right now. All right. So we'll put them on the team and then, yeah, then we need a fourth. Just I guess just somebody you think might be good. I think if I were to do it now, my first mind goes to who would be the best marketing for Cactus Rock if we got four <laughs> people out. So it'd have to be it have to be Shohei, Aaron Judge. Because if Shohei's out there, we're gonna get the international media there. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a zoo. Judge, you got Yankees, you got the New York media out there, and uh, probably Mike Trout just because obviously he's the you know the greatest of all time. You got the brain. You got the brain working in the right way already. Um, Dylan, this has been a blast, man. Thank you for joining me. Congrats on a great first start to the year, and uh, hopefully, many, many more great starts throughout this season. Pumped to have you on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on here. Of course. All right. See ya. All right. Just wanted to thank again Dylan for joining me. What a great conversation. Uh, twenty twenty six WBC. If he's a part of it, uh, that would be great. Uh, what a great conversation. Honestly, become one of the nastiest pitchers in the game of baseball. I've become a, a good – he's become a friend of mine. Uh, I was pumped to get him on the show. And, yeah, hopefully I can disc golf with him at some point. But uh, just a fun conversation and wanted to thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple or Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch everything on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you tomorrow for another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.